Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. When you stand before Jesus, he's not going to care about what other people's expectations were for you. He's, he's going to hold us accountable to who he made us to be, to how he made us to be. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, what up? How's it going? Going well. How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Well, I hope everybody else is doing well today. We are really excited to talk with Will Mancini today, who is the founder of Oxano, creator of VisionRoom.com, and the author of his latest book, Unique. Will, how are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing great. It's great to be with you guys. Where are you? Where are you coming from today? I am in my. I've, I've got a finished off garage attic in Houston, Texas. So it's. Um, I call it my Anagata room because <laughs> Anagata is one of these little out of the way islands in the British Virgin Islands, and I love. It's like a little patch of dirt that I love so much that I actually modeled my office after it. But it's, oh wow! This little, this little humble, humble uh, garage. We have these detached garages that are like barn shaped down huh. here in Houston, so it's separate from the family mess. Right, I have my <laughs> own little area to make a mess and you know keep keep kind of my man cave and office in one spot. Yeah, that's nice because when working from home, it's easy to have home and work overlap. But it sounds like for you, you have a clear distinction in that, so that's nice. Yeah, it's a little little uh, little twenty yard commute. It's really nice. Yeah, and I've, I've never heard of that book or not book. Uh, I've never heard of that uh, place before, so I feel much more informed. Anagata <laughs> is that what it's called? Anagata, yeah, yeah. Anagata. British Virgin Islands. Okay, hey, there have you to go. Google it. Well, well, top top ten, top ten places in the world to kiteboard. That's how I found out. <laughs> There you go. He's that in trivia Knowledge sometimes. Knowledge is power. Yeah. If I'm at a Buffalo Wild Wings playing <laughs> trivia and ask that question, I will know now. There you go. Well, Will, um, tell us a little bit about your book, Unique. It's coming out in January, right? Really, really excited to read it. Would love just to, for you to talk about that for a couple minutes. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's, well, I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it because it's not really a book. I mean, folks who know me a little bit know that I'm really kind of a a toolbox designer, process designer, and I'm interested in breakthrough clarity. What, and I've been thinking about is, as we do church and organizational, you know, dreaming, planning, and, and that kind of stuff, you know, uh, I've interacted with, with, you know, leaders for a long time who've said, what, how would you, you kind of hunt after this breakthrough or this clarity piece for the individual and, and in terms of life design and life planning? So I've been thinking about it a long time, about five years ago, started uh, an organization called Life Unique. And we've been kind of literally in this five-year beta where we've been working with several hundred churches. We've taken about uh, just shy of 3,000 people through a life plan, life design, real, you know, real robust kind of stuff. And it's something we want to bring and release to local churches everywhere. So we want the church to be able to provide kind of gospel-centered life design to their to their people. And so this book is actually an overview of what that personal vision, that personal calling journey looks like that we hope churches will begin providing for their members, attenders, leaders, et cetera. Um, that sounds really awesome. Uh, Will, I, I've read uh, your book, God Dreams, as well as Church Unique. So I know how valuable those tools are for churches. And I know that Unique, which if you're listening, it's Y O. 
unique. So unique. Um, you can check you. It, yeah, you unique. Unique. Uh, go check it out. Um, all the other tools that I know that Will has done with churches are great, and I know this is going to be more about personal calling and who you are. So super excited to, to even learn a little bit more about the book as we dive into the questions here. So, Will, let's just get into the first one, and it's simply. Can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that have led you to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One, one of the things that's part of my journey is um, just by training, I've had three different vocational training pathways. So I've been trained as a chemical engineer, worked seven years in engineering. Uh, I've, I've, I've been an ad agency executive, so I, I love language and communication. And so I've kind of had that track and then it was called a ministry, been to seminary and worked uh, in local church ministry for eight years and have worked really formally as a church consultant now for 18 years full time. So awesome. I got, got started in the church consulting in my early 30s, which is a little earlier than I should have, like, it's not that <laughs> that, but it was how those other disciplines were working together. And as I was chasing this understanding of my kind of special assignment from God, which is how I talk about special calling in the book. As I was chasing my own special calling, I really loved working with local church teams and working toward clarity. So that's, uh, uh, that's what I've been doing for the last 18 years. Yeah, so uh, uh, the, no, keep going. The specific keep going. roles there, well, I was going to say the specific roles there from a ministry standpoint was uh, you know working as a college pastor in the Dallas area as I was going to Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, really studying, thinking I was going to be a church planter in the early years, went through all the church planning assessment in the 90s, and then uh, joined a church in Houston uh, that was recently planted. And that became kind of, I, I basically played every role on church staff other than being like the junior high, middle school pastor, which I always praise God for that. <laughs> uh, did, 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 I did children's ministry, you know, missions, small groups, leadership development. I mean, I kind of wore all the hats. So I was kind of an early executive pastor of sorts mm-hmm. as the church was growing. And, and then, you know, eventually left, um, I left local church ministry as a pastor in 2001 to experiment with this coach consulting gig. And, and, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So that's awesome. So we each have our special calling, right? And I'm, I'm really excited to to read Unique and, and see what you have to say about those things. But in the 18, 20 years of all this experience that you've had, can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on that changed your leadership in life and maybe even that special calling? Like, how did that fluctuate and change throughout that journey? Yeah, there was, there was a moment that is you know, particularly important. I was, um, and I would say, I'll, I'll kind of describe, I'll describe what the pivotal moment was and tell you the story. The pivotal moment was really um, coming to the end of myself in terms of what, what, what I wanted to do and really embracing the journey to understand what God called me to do, you know, what God mm-hmm. made me to do. So there's kind of the me I want to be, and there's the me that God made me to be. And so that, that moment happened as I was, um, as I was learning and growing in a really healthy church culture in Houston, a guy named Bruce Wesley was a church planning assessor. He had started a church in 1993. He was having, you know, at that time, some good success in the suburban kind of growth areas uh, of Houston. And, you know, he, he was just a great leader, brought me, brought me in and uh, I learned a ton from, from Bruce. Well, at that time, if you would say, "Will, what do you what do you want to be when you grow up?" So, you know, if you're if you're talking to me in my in my mid twenties, I had a very specific kind of. At the time, I would have said vision. Now, I would say projection. I had a projection of what I wanted. 
to do. And at, at the time I was in seminary, uh, Willow Creek was a highly visible, highly notable church. They had a, they had a particular model where as a, as a highly visible church, there was a full-time teaching pastor who would teach every week that wasn't their, you know, weekend seeker service. It was their kind of midweek believer service. And uh, as you guys know, know the name John Ortberg, many of your listeners know the name John Ortberg. And yeah. I just idolized John Ortberg's style. Like I was like, that's my brand of communicator right there. <laughs> and so when I was, when I, I wasn't just interested in church planning, I was interested in getting as many laps, you know, as a communicator and kind of honing my own kind of John Ortberg style. And I, I literally came to, to Clear Creek in Houston because they were a Willow model. And I thought I'll do anything in this church for a few years so that I can be, you know, the next full-time teaching pastor. I can be Houston's John Orper, right? Um, that's what I wanted to do. He was in Chicago. We certainly needed his brand of teaching in Houston. So, so I was, no, every day of my ministry, I was putting in time to be in a healthy church, but primarily be in a church that would enable me to fulfill that projection of, of uh, you know, what, I, what I wanted to do. And uh, I, so the moment was, I, I remember I, I'd pretty much been building ministries, recruiting people, you know, Bruce thought I hung the moon and I thought everything's going good. I'm going into my, you know, kind of big annual checkup with Bruce, <laughs> the senior pastor. I'm on the executive team. I'm like, this is it. I mean, we're now running 2,500 people. We need a full-time teaching pastor. Like this is, this is my moment. I mean, I'm about to be installed in that role. And I, and I go in and we have some small talk and Bruce just says, well, we, we've decided we're going to, we're going to look outside our church for our next teaching pastor. And I was like, mm. I mean, destroyed. I mean, it was like, <laughs> why, why would we do me that? on the ground, <laughs> walked all over, you know, my God's perfect life plan for me. You know, I was like, what is going on? And I felt betrayed. I felt distraught. I was, I was really, you know, dumbstruck by that announcement. And, uh, it was the worst meeting I ever had with my boss, even to this day, but it was the best meeting for understanding special calling. What Bruce said that day, he said, "Will, you are a leader first and a teacher second. And what we need in our next teaching pastor is someone who's a teacher first. Yeah. And it was so simple. And you know what? It was right. And yet most of us never take the time to digest that kind of brutal honesty, even though it's swirling around us all the time. People have insight into what we're good at, um, what we're better at than we think we are or, or what we're not so good at <laughs> that we might think we are. So just that idea that, that Bruce loved me enough just to speak that truth, you know, and, and be a part of kind of guiding and shepherding me as, you know, leader to leader was huge. And that, that brutal honesty moment really set me on a journey to say, you know, life's too short. I want to know exactly what God put me on earth to do that, that, you know, I can do great. Yeah. And it's great that he was able to, I mean, to deliver that news to you. And like you said, it was, it was hurtful in the moment, but it was, it was great for you in the long run. Um, so we all need those people in our lives to, to speak into our lives. Now, one thing I do want to go back to was you were talking about, um, kind of looking up to somebody else in ministry from afar. Um, especially, you know, a lot of young leaders are listening to this podcast. And one thing that I know that I've done, I know a lot of young leaders, um, maybe, maybe struggle with, but it's also a good thing is to, is to look up to those leaders in front of them. How would you, um, advise young leaders who are, are looking ahead to someone just like you were with John, how do you yep. look up to them, but not try to become them? Uh, I know for you, it's very big on, you have a personal special calling from the Lord that is uniquely yours and it's different from somebody else's. So how do you balance that tension of, Hey, I really love how the Lord's using them, 
but it's going to look different in my life. How do you, how would you advise someone to balance those two things? Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's a great question. Yeah. It it really starts with believing that, um, that God has this, you know, special idea for you. Um, my, my, I have four children and my, my little girl have three out of the house and we laid an egg in an empty nest and her name is Poema for that Ephesians 2.10 idea of masterpiece or workmanship. So just to come back and keep renaming and re-preaching that good news to yourself that, that there's no one who's ever walked planet earth that is built like you made like you. And, and there's, there's real intention in exactly who you are and even intention in your story and who, who God's formed you to be. But uh, we, we talk about five barriers of self-awareness in the book. And I want to just share some of them so you can feel the overlap with some of these models or heroes in our lives. One, one of the, the first great barrier of self-awareness is the expectations of others. And so there are all these well-meaning people, many of them well-meaning people. Sometimes there's not a well-meaning there. You know, there are parents, there's coaches, there's aunts and uncles, grandparents, there's teachers, professors, there's all these people in our life. And every human being is a collection of other people's expectations, whether they realize it or not. So first you just want to be able to unlayer some of those things. Um, for, for example, for me, when I was in third grade, I came home uh, with a report card that had all A's with one exception. I had, I had a C in science. Well, my, my dad was a man of math and science. And so he told me, you know, at a very young age, Mancini's don't make C's in science. <laughs> right? And, and I'm going to, I'm going to go all the way to be a, I'm going to graduate as a chemical engineer, still living somewhat in the shadow of that expectation. Hmm. Right. Um, and so there's that there, the, another one is just the imitation of success. And so heroes and mentors, they are such because there's some kind of success dynamic in their life. And just to celebrate that, know that, to celebrate them, but to realize their path may be a different calling than, than your path. So, you know, and, and, and part of the problem is every, you know, every culture, every church tribe, you know, different, different kinds of, you know, sizes and, and denominations that we grew up with have their heroes. So just to be able to disconnect and say, oh, that, you know, I love that person's contribution. Well, that they may have been given a different contribution to make in their lifetime than the contribution God wired me up for. Just, so just to begin, just awareness is everything. And so, um, being able to celebrate others, being able to acknowledge other people have expectations. And as I remind people, like, um, when you stand before Jesus, he's not going to care about what other people's expectations were for you. Mm. He's, he's going to hold us accountable to who he made us to be. That's good. To how he made us to be. So it, it's, it's, um, once you believe it, you know, once the, uh, once the intention is clear, you know, the mechanism will appear. Once you believe that you've been created with a special assignment from God, you'll find it. That's very helpful. Thanks for, thanks for diving into that. Well, let's move on to the next question. What was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? You know, I don't want to be too redundant. It would, it would, it would be, it would be this, um, uh, it's, it was a lack of self-awareness. Um, I, I would say I would compound that for me, what drove that lack of self-awareness was, um, I think a, a, the approval addiction that I had as a leader in mm. ministry. So rather than really understanding who I wanted to be, I was trying to please whatever that was it a ministry supervisor. Was it an influential lay leader? And that manifests itself in just kind of busy, kind of a, you know, early in my life, just a workaholism, if you will, just, yeah. just trying to prove up, lead up, you know, make everyone a pat me on the back. So you're a great performer, you're a high capacity guy, et cetera, et cetera. So 
but what was at the root of all that was was kind of a you know a sense of approval that I was still learning to apply the gospel at that level in my life where I'd really be freed, you know, to to be the Ephesians two ten Will Mancini God created me to be and not have to you know chase the affirmation of others. So I think that you know I, I remember specifically um, one moment as a early in the church um, we were maybe running a thousand people. We had I think. We either we might have gone to three services at this point, still meeting in a school. So we're a church plant, meeting a school, and I was wearing this little badge on my shoulder. It was like forty days of no rest, and like that's not one of the forty day moments you find in scripture, right? It was just to, you take yourself so seriously, and I literally I could I was not practicing Sabbath. I was not I did not have healthy margin. And I remember I had this nineteen eighty four Toyota minivan. It looked you know, I was kind of embarrassed to drive it in the local <laughs> suburban community that I was driving in. I was driving to church at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning. And I like, I, I, I found my, I found myself to pull over to the side of the road. I was like five minutes from the church. And I just, I wept uncontrollably for about 20 minutes. It was like mm. the first time I had this little mini emotional breakdown. And the like, I literally, the conclusion was like, I, I was not taking any rest. I had just taken myself too seriously in, in the work that God had called me to do. And so that, that was, I'd say that's one of my early, early lessons. Like you've just, you know, God is the one who's building the church and to give my room to be a limited human being. Uh, there's uh, Mike Breen, uh, who started an organization called 3DM, came to America from England. He said, boy, you Americans, you just have this arrogance of like unlimited, you know, energy and potentials. Like you just try it and think mm. you can do so much. And I, so I felt like that I was confronted with that arrogance early on of just, you know, thinking I'm unlimited in my ability. Even, you know, you just wrap that in ministry and you're just like, oh, it's it's all godly intentions. And, and uh, you know, that doesn't change the fact that you're extremely limited. And I wasn't grappling with that very well. Yeah, those are that's a really good word. I, I, we've talked about leadership before on here, and leaders need to um, have approval from people around them. I've never heard it ter- termed as approval addiction. That's yeah, really, like really that. helpful. It's sticky. Um, so approval addiction is dangerous because you almost fall into this consensus building or the attempt to build consensus with people around you, right? So I want everybody to like me. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to please everybody. And that's just a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> it's it's not going to happen. Right? Yeah. We're not going to get consensus around this one topic. But man, for people listening, approval addiction, the real thing, um, good sticky term there, Will. Will, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Yeah, I have two sons right now, a, a 26-year-old who's... Uh, a new pastor in San Antonio and I have a 23 year old as a new pastor in Dallas. So I get to kind of think about this question through just hanging out with my sons, Jacob <laughs> and Joel. We, um, one book that, um, that I think of that's a little bit off the beaten path is, uh, the book, the making of a leader by Robert Clinton. Hmm. And I really like that book for, uh, the formative, like the first year or two in ministry because it, 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 it's, it's, it's very unique for someone to spend a majority of their life studying Christian influencers and then kind of creating a map of what do the stages of life influence look like over time. It can give you so much perspective early on on how God shapes a leader and how God works in the stages and seasons of ministry. And, you know, then, then Robert Clinton kind of mines out what how does God really shape you in those first five to ten years? I'm like, man, how? It's like I want every 
young pastor in ministry or young ministry leader to like have access to that kind of perspective. It's really, really powerful. So um, that that's that's one that, that comes to mind. Eugene Peterson was really uh, formative for me uh, early in ministry. And I would say he was that pastor to a pastor's soul. So he did, uh, he did some great uh, writing to vocational ministry. I would probably give a copy of the book under the unpredictable plant to hmm. as many pastors as I could in terms of, um, you know, what book. So making of a leader uh, under the unpredictable plant, which is Eugene Peterson's, uh, Eugene Peterson uses the book of Jonah to talk about vocational idolatry. Mm. So he taught, it's that, it's that idea as I was talking about having a projection of myself. It's like, what are the ways that we do this in, in ministry? So ministry just happens to be a great way to fulfill your addictions and idolatries, but you just put this God wrapping on it and you're fooling yourself and everybody else. So it's like, you know, take the gospel seriously. And, you know, everyone, all one of us has some of that stuff to blow up and keep applying the gospel to. So that's really uh, those good. Are two, two great books. Let's awesome. check those out. What was your biggest misconception as a young leader? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to the idea of taking myself too seriously. So biggest misconception is that um, the direct influence I exert is building the church, is moving the needle, is making a difference. And maybe a great, a great illustration of this for me is um, you know, being trained in Campus Crusade for Christ. I love that organization as a, as a you know, Penn State, you know, Mindy Lyon, passionate about uh, ministry. You know, every week I would, you know, share my faith. And I do that with the guy who was mentoring me. I do that with guys in my Bible study. And I would say, you know, early in my ministry, I really did, you know, I, I don't know how this exactly happens. It's not something that was ever trained. And we don't have these bad intentions, but there is a sense in which my persuasiveness was a part of the equation. Hmm. And it would take, you know, a couple of years later and, you know, reading J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God and, you know, uh, you know, understanding, you know, gosh, how, you know, how can I, it, it's, it, here's the way, here's the metaphor I'd use to frame it up. Like, um, when it comes to the church and it comes to change lives, um, the monkey's on whose back? And ultimately, the monkey's on God's back. Like, it's not on my back. Like, you know, I'm not the one building the church. I'm not the one, I, you know, I don't have power in my persuasion for those, you know, to believe the gospel is the power of salvation for those who believe. And so to give the freedom uh, back to uh, God to be the one who is is ultimately the source of all life change and, and, to, and to give, it gives you that freedom. And here's the irony. Obviously, you could think, well, well, couldn't that make people passive or lazy? And it does just the opposite. When you have the mm -hmm. confidence that God is the power and whether that's from conversion of someone's soul or whether that's from attracting people to the church, whether that's seeing third or fourth, you know, generation disciple making. When God is the author of all of that, it gives you that freedom and margin and room just to be who you are, to play your role, to do it well. Um, so I found there a great freedom and a, even a pursuit of, of excellence, that pursuit of excellence, that idea that grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. And when I have that grace to see who God made me to be, and I have the grace to see that God's got everything on his shoulders, then I can put my shoulder uh, in better ways to the, you know, to the work. 
Yeah, that's so ministry. that's so good. It reminds me of the parable of the talents, and uh, we're we're supposed to put our hand to the plow, and that's what we're supposed to, we're supposed to be obedient, right, in everything we do, and God's calling our lives, but we are not responsible with a lot of the outcome that happens. Mm-hmm. That That is God. And so, man, if we can put our hand to the plow, work hard and steward the talents that he's given us and trust him with everything else, it'd be a, be a lot easier to, to lead <laughs> knowing that truth. It's also freeing as a leader, knowing yeah. that yeah. it's, you know, you put the time in and it's the Lord working through you, not you having to do all the work. So it's very helpful. All right, Well, what are some of the qualities you wish you had as a younger leader? Yeah, I think I, I would... Um, I, I wish I wish someone like along with those books I just described. I wish someone had uh, encouraged more self awareness. So mm-hmm. I think that would have been uh, big. I wish someone had um, again a little redundant here, but just kind of coached me in that sense of rest, um, understanding rhythms, the importance of rhythms, and how God put rhythms in the universe. And you know, you you uh, the the phrase I would use today is being more accomplishes more than doing more. So I think that that kind of big, big idea, I think I would have uh, asked more advice earlier on. I love seeking advice now, but that was a learned thing. And so the presumption of, you know, um, you know, the, the, your, if you have an above average intelligence, there's a pride of competency that can mm-hmm. backfire on you yeah. because you do have a good answer, if not a great answer, most of the time that can preclude the sense of I need to listen to others. So those would be three, those would be three, just higher self, higher self-awareness and what are the tools, ability to learn that, um, help, help fight for margin, um, Sabbath, and then, um, probably seek more outside counsel. Mm, that's good. Yeah. One of the big things that you just said there is, is the, the rhythm and rest and just learning how to um, have margin. I think as, as young leaders, it's very much the popular thing right now of hustle and, and try to fill your days with as much as you can to get ahead. And, and that's not really the way of Jesus. We see him taking time away from others, spending time with the Lord and having margin. So I think that's a very helpful reminder, Will. So at this time, we're going to move to the quick hitter questions, and these are just short one-minute answers. So we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, exercise, all that good stuff? Yeah, I'm going to answer that a little counterintuitively. So my ideal daily routine is not not really to have one routine. So I I love structured flexibility. So, uh, so I learned this a long time ago, three basic days in my life. So I have free days, I have focus days and I have buffer days and by nature, a free day and a buffer day are not structured. So, um, a focus day is highly structured because about, you know, 40% of my days are focus days and a focus day is when I'm delivering on site or with mm-hmm. a client. So that day is completely structured for me. Um, so that's, so organizing different kinds of days like that and having a locked in routine in some way. So a buffer day, free day, by definition, don't have, don't have routine, which means, um, if I'm having a free day, then, you know, kind of being with a moleskin, having the right cup of coffee. Sometimes it's getting out of my environment. Sometimes it's coming up, you know, to my, my Anagata room office here (laughs) and just, you know, chilling. So like, it's actually, structuring flexibility, structuring spontaneity yeah. in, into the day with it would be my answer on that one. I like that. Yeah, it's fun. 
What is your favorite personality test? Well, you know, the unique, the unique process and unique book has 18 basically assessments in it. So I was wondering if there were something. Yeah. So you gotta give me two, you gotta give me two, you gotta give me three and I'll have fun with this. So here, here it is. For, for team building, for team building, it's something called insights. And it's basically the same yep. as kind of the, the disc or the Myers-Briggs, but insights uses colors, but that's for team building and team dynamics. My favorite biblical one is just the APEST, the apostolic, prophetic, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And I think every human being has a primary capacity. Every believer has a primary capacity of those. So I love those. But because of like, kind of the, the flow of the answers, if anyone knows Enneagram, you guys know Enneagram, you know by now that I'm a, that my whole life journey is, is, is three, right? So how, growing from an unhealthy to a healthy three as a believer is kind of the life journey. So I, so I, so I literally love um, the Enneagram. I love APEST, and I would use the uh, some kind of Jungian thing for team building. Yeah, we've done insights. Never heard of APEST. I haven't either. So what on the insights would you be? What color? So I'm a red, yellow on the insights. Okay. I'm an ap- apostolic prophetic on the APEST, and I'm three on the Enneagram. Yeah, I've got. We've got to take the APEST channel. Yeah, we, we got to check Let's it out. Take it together. We'll see what it. Yeah, we'll see what it shows. Well, hey, I'm going to switch up the questions here. Since you said uh, you went to Penn State, are you a big football guy? Will? I well, I love football. I don't track it very close, so the answer technically is no. Since I'm not glued to the screen on weekends. Okay, well, we're still going to we're going to still go with this. Yeah, it's still fun. Uh, so Josh uh, is a fan of Memphis, Memphis yeah. Tigers, and they play Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. So yeah. on this question, come on, what are your all score predictions? And we'll see who uh, is Tigers closest. versus Lions. Tigers versus Lions. So Josh, what, what do you think the score is going to be? Uh, man, you know I'm on air, so I feel like I have to go <laughs> with the Tigers. I can tell you with my fan. I'll tell you my fan okay. prediction and yeah. then my re- reality. Yeah. My realist will come out. Fan prediction, I'm going to go Memphis high scoring offense. I'm going to go 34 to 28. Okay. All that. Tigers win. What I think is going to happen, I think Penn State's going to blow them out. That's what I think going to happen. <laughs> Will, what do you think? I mean, that's a pretty easy one right there. I mean, I, I, th- I think. If I know you love the Tigers. That's points, great. Okay, moving on. Here we go. 10 points is great. 20, 20, 21 to 10 will be gracious to the Tigers. 21, 21 to 10. 10, Penn State. I tell you what, Will, let's make a bet right now. Let's make a bet on A. <laughs> if we ever run into each other, whoever, so if Tigers win, you got to you gotta buy me a milkshake or something. I, I don't know. And then Lions win, I'll buy you whatever, like a, your favorite food, favorite sweet or whatever. We'll make a bet. We'll, we'll call it a day. So, Let's do it. All right. Bam. On air. Okay. I guess it's me now. Yeah. Talking about football. Uh, Let's see. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Yeah. One one, uh, thing I embedded early on is one of my favorite ways to kind of go back to daily routine. If if I have, uh, probably should have answered it on that daily routine one, but when I, um, any any of those days, I try to get the two most important things uh, of the day done by 11 o'clock and mm. before I do any emails or digest any serious kind of, you know, social media or anything like that. So that's been a really big go-to thing for me. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Best book I've read in the last six months is Word Hero. I haven't heard of that. I feel like somebody mentioned that, but what is it about? What's the, what's the rundown on it? It is, 
it's a, uh, it's a great, it's a great little book. It's an unusual book. It's really any, pre- it, it should be like the first book a preacher reads, but it's not a book. It's not a book on scripture. It's not a book written by a believer. So it's a book written by a guy who studied great quotes his whole life. Huh. So he's like a quote expert. So he basically says here, mm. here are the devices in the, in the English language, kind of like kind of going back to like fifth grade figures of speech. But he looks at it through the perspective of how, how would you like to be a word here? That is influencing people through language, through words. So it would be Abraham Heschel's quote that I often get. I often get the glory of uh, it's his quote, but I, people describe it to me. It's words create worlds. Yeah. What are you saying? And so this is a great book on how to create worlds with words. Hmm. Yeah. Word hero. Really helpful. Speaking of words, last question. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? The advice would be uh, to um, to assess and accept your situation before you uh, press into trying to impress people too much with your leadership. Mm-hmm. So basically, don't rely on your knee-jerk, intuitive leadership response, but uh, make make sure you learn before you leave. That's great advice. Well, Will, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. Um, now, listeners, make sure you check out Unique. It's coming out in January, so make sure to make grab sure. a copy. Make sure. And thank you for listening today. We hope that this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, please head on over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. Thanks for listening. Go Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.